Good to see everyone out tonight. It's uh, been a while since I've been here, so I don't know exactly who's visiting and who's not, but if you are visiting or consider yourself a visitor, we're glad that you're here, and we uh, hope that we say some things, do some things tonight that will be helpful to you. I always hate to start by apologizing. I do that too much, I know, but this is the first time I've given a lesson in uh, well over a year, uh, sermon, such I've gotten up and commented a couple of times at home on Wednesday night, but uh, I was reminded that I did do Quentin, Quentin Gage's funeral, kind of made a mess of that, but uh, uh, so I don't know how this is going to go. I've uh, kind of lost my hearing in the last few few uh, years, and so I don't hear a whole lot real very well, which means I don't hear myself real well, which means that's good for me. I don't know about y'all, but uh, we'll see how it goes. We are glad to be here. We're going to talk about some things tonight that's found in in, uh, Luke chapter 7. And if you'd like to, turn there and we'll go through uh, the first few verses of this chapter. I like this particular reading because there's a lot of things that we can find here about about, uh, our relationship with God, even though it's not specifically teaching us, necessarily, this is more of a, an incident that took place in the life of Jesus, but I think from viewing it, we can learn a great deal about ourselves and about what we are to be because of the response that Jesus made when he came in contact with this particular situation and this particular man. Starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 7, the Bible says, Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people... He entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard Jesus, he sent unto him the, or excuse me, when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say to, to one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned, turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to, to the house, uh, found the servant whole and uh, that had been sick. <clears throat> now, like I said, it's been a while since I've been in, a, been in the pulpit or been up to speak before other people in a, in a situation such as this. A couple of reasons for that. I had a couple of surgeries uh, within the last year, had a heart surgery, and that's really slowed me down quite a bit. And... Uh, uh, people at home are taking pity on me, and I appreciate them doing that. 
I find myself awful short-winded, so if, you know, if I have to stop and catch my breath or, you know, well, just bear with me, I, we'll, we'll get through that and uh, we'll get back to it. <coughs> Again, this is a particular case, and throughout, throughout the teachings of Jesus, faith is, and throughout Christianity, faith is the essential element that puts us in relationship with him. The, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, for example, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God uh, through him. So it's through our faith that we are able to have peace. It's understanding what that faith is. Oftentimes, it's, that's a challenge for many of us. And so we're going to look at this particular individual. I think this is a unique situation, a unique case where an individual has a servant. This particular man is a Roman soldier, obviously. He has a charge of probably around 100 men. He's a centurion. And uh, so he has these men that's under him, and he has all the authority that he can say to one, go, and he goeth, to another, come, and he cometh. He has authority over people. And so he, he, uh, he can say to his servant, do such a thing, and he'll do it, because he has that kind of authority. But there's something else about the man that we need to understand. The man had a great deal of respect for his servant, and I want us to note that, that he cared a great deal for this servant that he had. And whenever he heard of Jesus, he sent servants to him that he would bring Jesus to him and take care of his servant, as we've read. Well, what did he hear about Jesus? I don't know if the man had come in contact with him. We don't know that, do we? But... Possibly he had had opportunity to hear Jesus teach on, on different occasions. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe he heard about Jesus by hearing other people talk about him. Maybe he had seen some of the miracles that Jesus had done. Maybe he had seen Jesus heal other people. I don't, I'm not real sure, and I don't know that we can prove that. It's really not that important. But when he heard of Jesus, and that means when he heard what Jesus could do, what he stood for, and, and what he taught... He said, this is a fellow I need to have because I've got a servant here, and this servant's dear to me, and I care a great deal about him. He means a lot to me. Now, it wasn't just the fact that he was going to lose a servant if the guy died. I mean, this is a Roman, Roman soldier, Roman centurion. He could go out and get other servants, and possibly he did have other servants. But he could probably replace this guy, maybe easy. But the guy, he cared a great deal about him. He was dear unto him. Though he heard about Jesus, heard of Jesus, heard that he could do what he could do, heard about his teachings, he sent to him. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 10 where that particular passage is, uh, is mentioned. Romans chapter 10. And back up and read uh, just a little bit uh, prior to that particular case. Uh, that particular statement, rather. Romans chapter 10, we'll start reading about verse 8, if I can find it here. <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, verse 8. <clears throat> but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ... Our Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, 
whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there, <coughs> excuse me, for there is no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is over, uh, Lord over all, is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, like I said, no doubt he had some knowledge of Jesus. He had some uh, evidence of him. And, and he had a, a belief system, if you will, about what Jesus could do, what he could accomplish if he could just get him. And he heard of him, and he knew where he was at. So he sent his servants, and so they go. So when we think about faith, and we think about the development of faith in our lives, I don't think there's anybody here that's willing to jump up, and I hope you don't, because that'd be disruptive to our service right now. But I don't think any of us would uh, uh, be willing to say, hey, I have too much faith, or my faith is sufficient enough. All of us are probably concerned about our faith and, and are desiring to improve it or in, to increase it in every opportunity that we can. Why are you having this weekend meeting? You know, and you may be asking yourself that before we get through with this. <laughs> Why you're doing this, I understand there's another one not far away with Brother Jerry. Uh, I keep thinking, I told Marty here a while back, I said, I'm, I'm about to run out of gas. I'm too old for this. And here Jerry's over 80 years old, and he's putting me to shame. He just gets stronger every year, and I just get weaker every year. But why do we go to these meetings? Is it because we've never heard of it? No, it's because we want to increase our faith. We want to become stronger. We want to hear more and more about uh, from the Word of God. We want to hear it read. We want to hear it talked uh, talked about we want to sing about our uh, sing praises to god about the the faith that we have in him so faith is important and we see that and we understand how important it is to feast on the word of god to increase our faith now this particular man had heard about jesus and that is the key figure or key fact in in the development of his faith so if you want to put a note to this the number one thing that we can say about the lesson tonight the number one and most important thing i suppose is if you want to have faith or if we want to work with someone and probably all of us here have friends and people that we care about that we would like to see come to church that we would like to see embrace the christian faith if you will and that's one of the first things that must be done is for them to uh, to develop a knowledge, if you will, of Jesus Christ, of what He can do, of what He has done, and what He can do, and what He can mean to that person or to, to the individual that we might be working with in their life. Does that make sense to you? Okay. That's number one. We need to hear about Jesus and learn about Him and increase our knowledge every chance we can. I used to do this in, in uh, meetings that I would hold, and, and I've uh, never had anybody come to me and say it hasn't worked. Now, I'll be honest with you, there's been a lot of people that hadn't said anything. <laughs> but those, mostly, that have commented said, you know, that really did help me. But one thing I would challenge people to do, if I, if I gave this lesson early in a gospel meeting, say a week-long meeting like on a Sunday or on Monday night, I'd say take one of the, one of the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I'd prefer Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but... Take one of them. If it's a short meeting, I'd say take Mark. It's only, only 16 chapters. But read it through and see how long it takes you to read it. 
Don't just read it, but read it and think about what you're reading. When you read about Jesus and you read about Him being in a place, try to visualize the place. When you read about Jesus among some people, try to visualize the people and the condition maybe that they're in. When you read about Jesus healing somebody, try to think about that a little bit. But focus on what you're reading and think about it. See how long it takes you to do that. And when you get through, you'll be surprised. If it's the book of Matthew, it may take you 35 or 40 minutes. If you read like my wife, Margaret, you can probably do it in 20. It's not very long, is it? Read the story of Jesus. And when you get through, turn around and read it again. I like to challenge people to read Matthew five times during a gospel meeting. At least five times. Six or seven if you can. But five times. And see what happens. See what happens to your understanding and your knowledge, and if you will, your faith in Jesus Christ, your belief in Him. And I, like I said, I've, I've had people that hadn't said a word to me after the meetings over with, but I have had those that's come to me and said, you know, that's really helped. I've read the Bible all my life, but that has really helped. If it'll help you, try that. But if we want to have faith, or we want to increase our faith, or we want to, inst- to challenge someone else, a friend, a neighbor of ours, we need to help them understand as much as they, or get them to understand as much as they possibly can about the personage of Jesus Christ. That entity that came to us that uh, can take away our sins. Well, what else can we find out about this fellow? <clears throat> I know I've done this a lot, but uh, I still have to look at my notes once in a while. What did the Jews say to him when they got there? The elders of the Jews. Remember, the elders of the Jews in this account came to Jesus. He didn't. The man didn't that had the servant. But the elders of the Jews did. And when they came to Jesus, they said, He's worthy of who should do this. Why? Why did they say that? What had he done for them? He hath built us a synagogue. Now, I don't know if this Roman soldier had a, had adopted the Jewish faith or not. There's no, no indication that he had. But obviously, he cared about these people. Maybe he admired them for their commitment and their dedication to what they believed in. And he built them a synagogue, a place where they could gather and a place where they could worship. What does that tell you about this guy? This soldier, this centurion that had this servant that was dear unto him. What does that tell you about him? tells you that he was committed. You know, if you want to be committed to something or if you want to develop your faith in something, be committed to something. The more we're committed to a particular cause, the greater our faith is going to be in it. I was talking about Ranger baseball a while ago. I'm excited about the season starting. Was that Monday night that it starts? I'm ready. Looking forward to that. It's about the one of the few things that Margaret and I enjoy sitting and watching on TV. No violence, no well, sometimes there's some violence. <laughs> Depends on who they're playing. Depends on what the second baseman's doing. <laughs> uh, sure walked into that one, didn't I? <laughs> but, but, uh, but you understand, it's a little bit better than a lot of things that you see on TV, and we enjoy the, the opportunity to do that. 
Don't care about baseball, you say. Don't care about baseball. Well, I'll tell you what. Buy season tickets. Buy season tickets. Pay the price. And then go to those games. You pay the price. You buy those tickets, and you, you don't go to the games. And if you go to the games, you know what you're going to do? You're going to become a fan, and you'll be doing the wave, and you'll be just like, you know, you'll get involved in that. See? And that's true with just about anything. If we want to get somebody to develop their faith, or if you want to increase your faith, get involved in what this little congregation stands for. If you're visiting from another, get involved in what that congregation stands for. You say, well, I don't know what to do. Well, go ask the leaders. Say, what is, is there something that I can do? Maybe hand out flyers. Maybe knock on doors. Well, I feel uncomfortable doing it. Well, mow the yard. I wonder if them guys come up and mow ours. They did a good job here a while ago. You understand? Get involved in what the church stands for. Get in, involved in that. And when, the more you're involved in something, the more you're going to do it. Apostle Paul said, uh, be workers. Be involved. Uh, be committed to what you stand for. Acts chapter 2, we read about the beginning of the church. Started to speak about that a little bit tonight, but it changed my mind. Acts chapter two, we read about the uh, Peter preaching to these multitude of people on this occasion, and uh, it says it was about three thousand that were obedient to the faith, to the teaching on that occasion, and they were baptized. That's how the church had its beginning. That's where it had its beginning in Jerusalem. And from that, the next verse says, And they continued, who? They, the 3,000, that multitude of people that were obedient to the faith, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers, and in fellowship. may have had those in the wrong order, but you get the idea. What does that mean? They continued steadfastly in that. They were fixed to it. Get involved in what the church stands for. When the church has an activity, be a part of that activity. When the church has a meeting, come to all the meetings. You're here. I'm preaching to the choir here. But, you know, go to all of those, those services. Get those friends that you're trying to help develop their faith. Get them involved in coming and participating in those activities as well. If it's a dinner, get involved in that. If it's a Bible study in someone's home, get involved. Get them involved. Get yourself involved in that. If it's a Bible study at the church, Whatever it might be that the church is trying to do for the name of the Lord, get behind it and be dedicated to it and be fully committed to it. So, you want to develop faith? Learn as much as you can about Jesus. Get involved in what he stood for. Get involved in the organization that he died and shed his blood that Dusty mentioned in our prayer, paid the ultimate price for the organization, for the church. Get involved in that. Number three, what do we see about this man? Well, no. When Jesus was coming to his house at the response of these servants that came, what did he say? Whoa! <laughs> I have authority. I'm under authority, and I have authority. 
but I'm nothing. And he didn't say it quite like this, but I'm nothing to, in, 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 in compared to you. I thought, really, I just thought you were just saying the word and he'd be healed. You don't have to come here. Who am I that you could do this? He had all the confidence in the world that Jesus could accomplish the goal. But the point I want to make here is the humility that this man had. You know, a lot of times we think that a person can't be in a place of authority. He can't be uh, in a position where he has uh, men or women working and serving under them. How can a man be humble and have that kind of position, be in that kind of a spot? Well, this guy did. Tells us a little bit about how he felt about himself. I'm not worthy that thou should even come under my roof. Just say in a word and it'll be so. Think about humility and think about what Jesus taught about humility. We think about some of the things that, that uh, we read. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, and uh, Jesus speaking about the Pharisees here. And if the Pharisees, if you were to put your finger on a particular problem that the Pharisees had, I would say that, that uh, uh, arrogance, uh, pride, a lack of humility, if you will, was a major problem that they had. We read, starting with verse 8 of Matthew chapter 23, Jesus' teaching, and this is what he says. Be not ye called rabbi. He's talking about uh, his, uh, his teachers. And he's talking about religious matters here. He said, Be not ye called rabbi. For one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. What did Jesus think about trying to put yourself before other people? He said, don't do it. Don't do it. And he had that problem with his disciples that walked with him and saw the works that he, uh, he uh, carried out and the works that he did, but he, st- he still had. And they heard this, this teaching over and over and saw example after example, but he still had difficulty with it. Do we today? You bet we do. I think that's probably one of the biggest problems that each one of us battle is, is being humble. We, it's just hard for us to do it. And I'll show you what I'm talking about here in just a minute. Ephesians chapter 2, a couple of passages here. It's important to read. Verse 3 said, Let nothing be done through, uh, faith, uh, through, stri- strife, excuse me, through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. What does that mean, lowliness of mind? That means humility. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, wouldn't it be something if we could all just be that way and esteem others better than ourselves? But it seems that we have a challenge doing that. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. who was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. 
You remember the teaching in uh, Luke chapter 18, where uh, I think it's Luke 18, where where uh, Jesus, uh, where two men go to the, go to the temple to pray, or two go to pray. The Pharisee prayed this way. He smote upon his breast, said, God, uh, uh, excuse me, the, the publican smote upon his breast, said, uh, God, forgive me. I am, you know, I am a sinner. He was very humble in his approach in, to God through prayer. And the Pharisee, what did he do? He talked about all the good things that he had accomplished. Well, let's stop right here. You ever stop and think about the good things that you've done? You look at your life and think about some of the things that you've accomplished? Maybe people that you've invited to church, and how many people maybe that are coming to church because you've invited them or because you've had some influence on their life? That's certainly a noble thing. But do we have things like that go through our mind? Or do we think about the weaknesses that we have and the shortcomings that we have and the things that we really need to work on that we struggle with from day to day? Do we focus on what other people have accomplished and try to make even the person that's the least esteemed feel like the most esteemed? So many teachings we could look to and look at it in this particular way. These two that prayed, which one went down to his house justified? It was the one that was humble before God. Think about the passages that we find in the Scriptures. Uh, Psalms chapter 51. In fact, this whole chapter, Psalms chapter 51, I think it would do uh, most uh, uh, Christians good to, to read that at least once a week, if not, if not daily, and stop and think about it and, and look and see if his, if his uh, situation is anywhere close to this man. You know what, David? This is about David. And it's about his prayer to God, and it's about uh, the uh, struggles that he had. And uh, notice what he says as we start with verse 51. I think that's where we're at. 51 verse 17. It'll help, it'll hope, help if I turn to Psalms. I didn't think Isaiah 51 looked like uh, what I was looking for. Have mercy upon me, O, o God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto thy multitude of mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. If you know the situation of David and the sin that he's probably referring to here that he committed with Bathsheba, and as terrible as that was, and probably is what he's talking about here and he's you know and he's asking in fact verse 10 he says create in me a, a clean heart O god and renew me a right renew a right spirit within me but look at verse 17 that's the one i want to really focus on of this chapter psalms 51 17 for the sacrifices of god are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart O god thou wilt not despise What's he talking about? What's, what's, God, what's, what's, what's the psalmist saying here? What's David saying here that God is not going to despise? Your broken heart, your contrite heart. But if we can't get there, then we're going to have a tough time having our relationship with God. Isaiah chapter 57. I knew I had something in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 57. <clears throat> Another perfect passage, if you're like me, then like to underline certain passages. 
Isaiah 57, verse 15. For, uh, for this, for thus, excuse me, for thus saith the high and holy one, the lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity. Who's he talking about? Who's the writer? Who's, who's the prophet speaking of? For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. This is what God says. Whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Where does God dwell? You ever stop and think of that? You know, we, uh, I'm an old Star Trekky, Star Trek fan. There was one of those guys on there one time that hijacked the Enterprise and wanted to go find God somewhere. Something like that. It's been a while since I've seen that. Where does God dwell? According to this passage, he dwells in the heart of the humble. Okay? So we see this fellow. We see this guy. Obviously, even though he was a man of, of authority, he was a man that was very humble. So if we want to develop faith, we want to encourage others to develop faith, learn as much as we can about Jesus Christ, get involved in what Jesus stood for and what he represented and what he gave his life for, that's the church. And number three, work on ourselves. Work on getting rid of ourselves and bending the knee and becoming humble and contrite before God. And last of all, last of all, this uh, individual that we read about was a man that believed in other people. And I don't know about y'all, but I've, that's a challenge today for us in our, our community. I've, for years, I have, from the get-go, I guess, my dad was, a, was an alcoholic. He was in prison two different times in every county jail, I guess, Oklahoma had. And, you know, he's, he just had a lot of problems and uh, spent a lot of time trying to help him, trying to encourage him, trying to get him to turn around and, and as a result of that, and, and maybe other things that I've experienced in my life, I've kind of have been drawn to these people that have gotten their lives so wrapped up in sin and trying to pull them out of that and turn them around to walk the Christian walk. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be real honest with you. That's becoming harder and harder and harder for me to do. We... Uh, I'm not saying it's not important. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm not saying that should, that should be what we're all about. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge for congregations to do that. We had a fellow come by here a while back, for example, from our congregation. He did everything. It just appeared that he did everything that he, he, he began to, to do. It seemed like he just wanted to get involved in what we stood for. And we could tell by visiting with him, this fellow had had a rough life. But he wanted to turn it around. He wanted to do the right thing. And he just, you know, and he pulled his lawnmower out of the back of his car. It just so happened it was last year and our yard needed to mow on that particular day, which was not unusual, and began to mow the churchyard for us. You know, it just seemed like he just, he talked about Jesus and talked about how far away he'd been from Jesus and just all these different things. I'm just using this as an example. I could tell you I could tell you a couple of dozen of them. So what do we do? 
Asked him if he'd like to study. Well, yeah. So we studied with him. And we got to the point of committing to Jesus Christ, and he was ready to do that. We talked to him about how that was done through obedience to the gospel and what that meant. And by being baptized into Christ, he was ready. And like a lot of us, he didn't have the baptistry full, and I'm not telling you that to fill it up. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't do that (laughs) until you need to. But ours wasn't. And so we asked him to come back, and we'd, we'd do that. And, and he did. I thought, well, we may not see him again. But he did. And he came back. And we baptized him. Well, it became evident that, you know, he, he, he just seemed to dot all the I's and cross the T's. Ever, you know, I helped him a little bit financially. The church helped him a little bit financially. He didn't ask for it. We volunteered it. We have a brother at home, uh, Mark Savage, and he went home to Stratford, just 15 miles from where we are, and he was telling his family about it, and they started laughing and just hee-hawing, and they asked him what he looked like, and he told them, and oh, they just gave him the horse laugh, and just made old Mark feel real bad, because we felt like we had accomplished quite a bit. Evidently, this fellow had done the same thing there and had been baptized there. And obviously, he's been baptized in a lot of different places. And he was a master at conning us. And I thought I'd seen all of them. But I hadn't seen that one. You know what I told the church when this was all done and all came out? I said, the saddest thing about this is it's going to cause us not to try to help or reach out to the next person. That's the sad part about this. And we don't want to become cynical. And I've just described to you that it's, I'm, I've gotten more that way over the years. You begin to, is it real? Is it real? But sometimes it is. And if we get taken to the cleaners 50 times and convert one soul, lead one soul to Jesus Christ, then it's worth whatever effort we put forth. And we've got to keep remembering that. And this particular person believed in his fellow man. Like I said, he could have got another servant. He could have bought another. He could have went to the slave market and bought somebody. See? He didn't want to do that. He believed in this guy. And we need to believe in our fellow man. When you look around and we see people and we see some of the things that they do, I taught history at Murray College for about 10 years, and in the span of that 10 years, I saw students change. (laughs) Unbelievable what I saw. From respectful to the instructors and the teachers to disrespect. From, and don't, don't, I don't get anybody upset at me, to no tattoos. To not being able to see hardly any skin without, <laughs> without tattoos. Never seeing a, a piercing. I handed out papers one day and this little little black girl there, she's just as cute as she could be. She's a good student. And she had this goopy thing sticking out her cheek. And I said, honey, doesn't that <laughs> I said, doesn't that hurt? <laughs> she just looked up at me and, like I was on Mars or something. And she said, what? And I guess, and I guess that's where she fell. 
And I'm not telling people not to get piercings or not to get tattoos. That's not my point. But because of some of the changes that we see as people like me get older, I'm 74, I'll be 75 this year, as we get older, it's real easy for us to become cynical. But we need to stop and remind ourselves every day that regardless of who they are, these are people, these are people that were created by God. They were brought into this life and they have a right to, to life. And they have a right to have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ taught. My son got involved with a study group on a Thursday night. And I was real proud of him. He worked with a bunch of, bunch of people. They asked him, uh, one of his fellow, he was doing construction work at the time, and they asked him if he would participate in this. And the reason was because <laughs> David was probably, and I'm not saying this to say that my son has a great knowledge of the Bible, but compared with the group that he was meeting with on Thursday night, he, was, <laughs> he had a pretty good knowledge of the Bible compared to the rest of them. And that's what they wanted. They wanted him for that. And they knew that he wasn't going to put them down and all. But he would come back and talk to me about some of the people that he encountered, some that had got out of prison, some that were on parole, some that were still struggling, some that had just or were battling divorces and things of this nature. And uh, I encouraged him, you know. But it's a tough situation. Let's never become cynical as a people of God. Let's, let's look at people and let's reach out to them. And I don't care what the situation may look at. I know we have to be cautious from time to time. We have to be careful. But if, we, if there's a way we can help someone, someone and encourage them and bring them to Christ, then we need to take advantage of that. We need to seek that opportunity. I went by to see a fellow one day, and, and I'll close with this little tidbit. I went by to see a, a man that uh, we had uh, worked with a number of years before. And it was at Purcell, Oklahoma, when I was working with the church there. And uh, we had been a lot of places since then. And we had just recently moved to Tishomingo. And I run across this fellow. And, and I, of course, he wasn't going to church anywhere, but we had baptized him at Purcell. And so I run him down, tracked him down, and, and uh, uh, got him and his wife coming back to church. So I'd go by on, you know, weekly or every few days and just visit with him. His name was Clifton Ross. And I'd go by and see Cliff and I'd say, how's things going, you know, and visit with him. And one day I went by and, and uh, there was a young lady there and I asked him, I said, Cliff, how's things going? He said, fine with me. But he said, that little old gal right there has got problems and you need to get her straightened out. That's just the way he said it. I said, well, what, who is who are you, hon? And, and it was his granddaughter and uh, from a, somebody I didn't know, but it was his granddaughter. And uh, she had bruises. She had a swelled eye, but she was just as pretty as she could be. But her live-in had just beat the tar out of her. And evidently, he was pretty good at doing that. And so I said, she wanted to study, and, and I found a Bible at Cliff's. Obviously, I, I good, all good preachers, I didn't have mine with me, but I, uh, he had a pizza box there, and we took that pizza box, and I made notes on this pizza box, and I spent a couple of hours with her and talked to her, and, and I'm thinking, you know, this may be the only shot we have. And I asked her if her life wanted to be better. Yes. I said, you want to change? Yes. Do you want to be what God 
desires for you to be yes. Every answer was yes, yes. I used the Sam Potter approach, get them saying yes, 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 yes. And I did. I said, are you ready to accept Jesus Christ? Yes. Are you ready to be buried with him in baptism? Yes. I mean, it did work like a charm, Sam. He was he would have loved it, you know. And uh, but it did. It really did. And she was sincere. I don't believe I've there's a, anyone that I have ever uh, shared the gospel with that's been obedient to it that was more sincere than she was. And that night, that evening, it was Wednesday. She came and she obeyed the gospel and she was baptized. She cried when she came up. She cried coming out of the water. Did we see her again? No. She was in Tennessee. She's there just to get away from her live-in. She ended up going back there. Probably. I really don't know. Am I sorry we did that? Not at all. Not at all. I don't know how God's going to view that, and you and I don't either. But we need to take advantage of opportunities like that we had. This was one opportunity that this young lady had for the very first time, maybe the only time in her life that she heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and heard about the saving power of Jesus Christ. We need to jump on those opportunities. I didn't say that to pat myself on the back. It was just something I stumbled into, but you understand what we're saying, okay? Let's help people that we come in contact with grow in faith. If this will help you develop your faith, make it stronger, learn as much as you can about Jesus, get involved in what Jesus stood for and what he gave his life for, work on humility, we can't have too much of it. You just cannot be too humble, I don't believe. Oh, you can have false humility, but I don't think you can be too humble. And get involved with other people. Believe in them, help them. may not be in the examples that I've used. It may be taking a basket of food to them. It may be just a visit with them to encourage them. But that will help your faith as much as it helps theirs. Lessons yours. I hope we've said some things that's been helpful tonight. If you're here and... And subject to the gospel invitation, we haven't talked about obedience to the gospel of Christ, but if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and are willing to accept Him as your Lord and Savior and have not done that tonight, we want to assist you. If you need the prayers of the church for some reason, the congregation here will pray with you and for you for whatever cause you might have. If you have a need, come forward while we stand and sing.